the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Hello, hello, and welcome to All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show. My name is Seth Bertelny. Joining me is Amy Ruskai. And Amy, what we just saw was something pretty shocking, was it not? Yeah, for you getting up at 4 a.m., you must not have been able to believe your eyes at that time in the morning. I thought I thought I was still sleeping, but I was not dreaming it. The U.S. loses 3-0 to Sweden to open their Olympic campaign, a, a result none of us saw coming. I think we all knew that Sweden was going to be a formidable opponent, but to lose in such a comprehensive fashion was definitely a shock. It was their first loss in 44 games, stretching two and a half years back until January 2019 when they fell to France. It was their first loss under Vladko Andonovsky, who had won 22 and drawn one of his first 23 games in charge. The U.S. were just completely outclassed, and it was a result that, that none of us really saw coming. It's one that we all sort of knew that Sweden were going to be the U.S.'s toughest test in the group and possibly their toughest test in the entire tournament. But the way it played out, I don't think anybody would have predicted at all, even the most sort of, you know, the biggest Swedish fans probably never saw this coming. Yeah, and let's talk a little bit about how it did play out. Uh, Sweden defeats the U.S. 3-0. Stina Blackstinius scores two goals. Lena Hertig scores the other a real shocking performance. Sweden just sort of set the tone right away from the beginning. Uh, the U.S. got off to kind of a slow start. Sweden seemed to be everywhere. They were blocking off all their passing lanes. They were pressing. Uh, the U.S. just couldn't really get out of second gear. And you kind of thought like the U.S. was going to eventually adjust and, and figure out a way to, to get out of it. And, and they never really did. Um, and when... Blackstinius scores that first goal 25 minutes in, Amy, you just said that had been coming. Yeah, it was it was really strange because Sweden started so well, almost how you expect the US to start so many games, given, you know, their confidence and quality they have. And Sweden looked like they'd won the last two World Cups. And the first maybe 10, 15 minutes, you were like, oh, this is a poor start from the US. And you were sort of waiting for them to go, right, okay, We've had enough of you coming at us now. We're the world champions. Do you know, we're going to get on the ball and we're going to come at you. And they just didn't. And Sweden just kept getting the ball back and just kept going again, getting the ball back, going again. And it was, yeah, it was a matter of time until they scored. And, you know, the fact that it took 25 minutes in the end was quite a surprise, if anything. Yeah, at that point, a listener had already made a few good saves and you just thought that that goal was coming. And, and when it did... It wasn't really a surprise, and you thought the U.S. was going to have a response, and, and they didn't. Instead, Sweden just kept coming at them over and over again. One thing that was definitely noticeable in how Sweden approached the game is they saw Crystal Dunn at left back, and they said, we're going to go at her. Dunn, to be fair, did make a couple of really important goal-saving challenges in the first half, but she also was exploited. I mean, I think we all know Crystal Dunn is not a natural left back. She's an attacking midfielder slash forward, but she's been playing this role for the U.S. now for several years, and she's kind of become the, the U.S.'s best option. But a lot of that is because the U.S. 
is oftentimes on the front foot and they're attacking and they want someone like Dunn at left back because that gives them one extra attacker on the field. But today she was playing much more defense than usual. Um, you know, the first goal, Jakobsen gets plenty of space given to her by Dunn and, and finds Blackstinius. Lena Hertig's goal, Dunn kind of gets bypassed there on that left side. So I'm wondering if uh, other teams have found kind of a, a weak spot on the U.S.'s back line, or is that something that, you know, Sweden was uniquely qualified to, to take advantage of? I think it opens up the conversation of why does Crystal Dunn play left back anyway? It's not a position that is her best position. She's still one of the best players in the world, but she's one of the best players in the world specifically playing in a more attacking role. And I think that there's a question that people have been asking for years, really, when you watch Crystal Dunner play so well in the NWSL, whether as a, a winger or as a, a midfielder, as she is now. You know, she goes away with the national team and plays in a role that she only plays with the national team. And I think, I can't remember if it was Crystal Dunn that said this in an interview or Midge Purse, who also goes from playing forward to, to defender with the US, or it might have been both of them that said it, but that sort of mental adaptation and like what you have to do to be able to try and play to your very best level for your club to get you know into the national team squad and then play for the national team at the very highest level in a position that you don't play as regular. I think it just opens up that whole debate that we just have all the time and if that is going to be a problem, I think that, yeah, the next teams that do play the US are going to try and attack down Dunn's side and it's just going to be whether Blackco changes and plays somebody else there or whether Crystal Dunn, you know, being one of the best players in the world as she is, is able to sort of rise to that challenge of, of being targeted, which she's not used to being targeted as a defender in the NWSL. Yeah, you look over the US's roster and there there aren't a lot of great options uh, to take Dunn's place. I think the one that stands out is Tierna Davidson, who actually came on today and, and did fairly well against Sweden. You know, much more of a, a defensive option, but you do have to wonder if later on in the tournament, if the U.S. faces Sweden again or they face another really strong opponent, if Davidson might get the nod. I, I do expect Dunn to continue uh, in the next two group stage games because the U.S. should be on the front foot and, and attacking a little bit more. But it, it will be interesting to see how Andonovsky approaches that uh, just due to the real lack of uh, left-back options on the roster. You do have Christy Mewis has played a little bit of left-back in her career. Could move Kelly O'Hara over potentially. Um, Emily Sonnets there, who's pretty versatile, but does seem to be done spot to lose. Um, I want to move a little bit further up the field because we've talked about this in the first episode uh, as far as the U.S.'s health concerns. The one big question mark was was Julie Ertz, and she started this game on the bench, which wasn't unexpected. She she hadn't played since May, but it just seemed like right away Sweden saw that as something that they could exploit. Lindsay Horan was, was back there playing the number six role, and, and she had done pretty well in the last couple months taking Ertz's spot, but the U.S. had not played against a team like Sweden, and the difference in class really showed because Sweden just absolutely exploited Haran and Lavelle and Sam Mewis, too, in that three-player midfield, and oftentimes they kind of cut through them like they, they weren't even there. It was so noticeable that Ertz wasn't there playing her usual role of, of winning balls back and starting attacks and, and cleaning up the U.S.'s mess, and and so uh, 
she came on at halftime and it wasn't really a big surprise. Uh, she did okay, but at that point, kind of the damage had been done. But Amy, uh, did, did this game kind of demonstrate Ertz's uh, importance to the to the U.S. midfield? Yeah, we said it in the episode last week with Hope. This was going to be sort of the biggest test of how they could cope without Ertz. They've put so many friendlies since Ertz got her injury, but not tested in a way like Sweden tested them today. And yeah, I think, like you say, just shows she is the glue that holds this team together and I think as well you know Sweden their midfield were fantastic today as well I mean Caroline Sega had an amazing game and you know when the US were trying to counteract the fact that they were losing trying to create chances with those players like Lavelle who is you know somebody who unlocks a defense just couldn't do it in that midfield Sweden just absolutely dominated in there yeah definitely and I I do want to give Sweden some credit here because I think today what we saw was a real combination of the, the U S being very poor and Sweden being very, very good. You wouldn't have a three nil result without both of those factors being involved. Uh, You know, we talked about who the biggest challenge to the U S at this tournament might be last week. Having seen Sweden today, even without Magdalena Eriksson, one of their top players, you have to imagine they're going to be right up there with the U.S. as gold medal favorites. And maybe based on today's result, they might even be the favorite going forward, knowing how they've just had the U.S.'s number. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see how that pressure starts to be heaped on Sweden. It's like, will you beat the world champions? You beat the favorite. I'm quite interested to see how they respond to it, because I think they're not unfancied going into this tournament, but it's probably not an expectation that they've dealt with much before. Maybe some players at club level and things like that, but I'm very interested to see how they kind of ride the wave now with, you know, they're on such a confidence high, but it'd be interesting to see if people do start putting the pressure on them, how they respond. And obviously people have got a really good look at what they're good at today as well. So it'd be interesting to see how their opponents and the rest of the tournament try to counteract it in a way that the US struggled to. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal. All of us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Find more U.S. Women's Soccer news and opinion on Goal. All right, welcome back to All of Us, where we are dissecting the U.S.'s 3-0 loss to Sweden to start the Olympics. Uh, I think the question that, that we're all going to be asking ourselves after this one is, is how did Sweden do it? Not just winning, but really controlling most of the game, making the U.S. look ordinary. I can't remember the U.S. having such a poor performance. It's been years, literally, since since they've been so thoroughly outclassed. Amy, in, in your recollection, what did Sweden do so well to really disrupt the U.S. And, and make them look as poor as they did? I think it was just sort of the confidence and the fearlessness that they went into game with. I know we said last week that they have that psychological boost from nearly beating the U.S. in April and being unlucky not to beat the U.S. in April. They seem to just go into this game with no sort of fear and like the confidence that they were going to they were going to take the game by the scruff of the neck and go for the US and 
they just continue to sort of believe in that. And I think that one of the things with the US is that the US can sometimes beat teams before they even get on the pitch because they are almost this larger-than-life thing and people think, oh, you know, we're playing this team they haven't lost in two and a half years. They've won the last two World Cups. And sometimes if that gets in your head, then, you know, you're beating yourself before you get out there, whereas nothing like that seemed to happen with Sweden. They went out there and they believed that they could beat the US and they did all the right things. They exposed all the right areas to beat the US. Yeah, I think what was really important was after Sweden got the opener, you kind of expected maybe they would they would sit back a little bit, the US would start to impose themselves a little bit more, but that didn't happen at all. Uh, they just kind of kept going after the US and I think the US was sort of surprised by that, you know, that they're I don't want to use the word entitlement, but I, I think that there's a certain sense that like the U.S. needs to control these games. That is their right, and that's what they normally do. And and when when Sweden kept going, it sort of threw the U.S. for a loop. And really, leading up to halftime, Sweden was pushing for that second. And I remember thinking that the U.S. would be pretty lucky to get into halftime, only one nil down. And then, of course. Rose Lavelle hits the post kind of against the run of play right before the half. I mean, that could have changed things. But on balance, Sweden being up at halftime was was very much deserved. They really just pressed the U.S. And I, I think that's one area where they were able to really flip the script because the U.S. is known for that press and, and not letting opponents breathe and not letting them get out of their own half. And, and you, you do wonder if, if the U.S. expected that from Sweden, if they expected to not have any time on the ball. And, you know, it wasn't just the Swedish press, too. I mean, I think the U.S. played a, a very significant factor in their own downfall as well because there were just a number of unforced errors. Um, there were a number of markers missed. Uh, the U.S. looked disorganized. They, they looked disjointed. I don't think we've seen them play that poorly in a really long time. I think I was surprised as well because of the leaders that are in that team. You talk about the defence being disorganised. You kind of were like waiting for Becky Sauberman to go, right, I've had enough of this. Getting everybody sort of together and getting people up and trying to fight back sort of thing. Like You're waiting for them to just go, right, I've had enough. Not just Sauberman, but all the leaders throughout that team. You know, Pretty much every single player in that team is a leader. And like I say, you were just waiting for them to come together and go, right, no, let's show them how good we are, what we can do. And the moment never really seemed to come. It was really strange to watch. Yeah, that I think that third goal that Sweden scored kind of summed it all up. I mean, first of all, Dunn gets completely bypassed on that on that left side. There's ton of a ton of room for Sweden to maneuver into. And then Sauerbrunn kind of gets caught out. And Dahlkemper just kind of looked lost in the middle of the box, and Hurtig is just completely wide open. It, it's just such a, a casual-looking header from her. And like you said, you're wondering, where is the leadership? Where is the organization? It was just all missing. To throw it forward a little bit, I mean, I'm, I wouldn't want to be the New Zealand this weekend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you imagine the the sort of response that the you well, the response that you expect from the U.S., from this sort of performance, you expect especially because there's going to be quite a few changes and stuff, you expect that this is going to be a team that's fired up because everybody is going to be looking at them. Not everybody's going to write them off, but some people are going to be like, well, do they deserve to be the favourites? And I think you would expect to see a response, but, you know, we expected to see a response today, so it's going to be really interesting. 
yeah, you talk about the changes for the next game. I, I'm I'm curious what you made of the changes for this game. I think the 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 lineup decision that stuck out for us was Tobin Heath getting the start over Megan Rapino. This was Heath's first start in months. What did you make of that? And then and what did you make of the the changes at halftime too? You know, we talked about Ertz a little bit. There was a question of whether Ertz should have replaced Sam Mewis or Lindsey Horan. She ended up replacing Mewis instead of Horan. I think Horan did not have a very good game, so you could make a case that that Mewis should have been left on in, instead of Horan. And also Carly Lloyd came on uh, for Alex Morgan. Um, what did you make of uh, all of the adjustments that Vlaco made uh, before the game and, and, and during the game? I was surprised to see Heath star over Rapino just because of the fact that Heath hasn't played a lot of football and Rapino's been playing quite regularly and, you know, it's not exactly like a downgrade in some sort of massive sense to have Rapino start over Heath. I don't think Heath had a bad game. I think she caused some problems when she could, but I think Jonna Anderson had such a great game at left-back. When Pino came on, I thought she did really well in certain moments, which maybe some people will have been like, oh, should she have started? But yeah, I was definitely surprised to see Heath start. I think as the game played out, probably wouldn't have made a difference just because of how Sweden played and how well Anderson played. The changes at halftime, I think we were... I don't think anybody was surprised to see Ertz come on at halftime because she was literally who was missing in the midfield. I was surprised it was Mewis that was taken off, definitely. The US weren't creating that many chances and Mewis offers such a massive threat from set pieces in particular. And when you were struggling to create chances in open play and you get those set pieces and you really try to make them count against a team like Sweden that's great at defending them, to have Mewis on the pitch in a moment like that would have been big. I was surprised at Alex Morgan coming off for Lloyd as well. I thought... I thought it would have been a bit later in the half. In the end, Sweden just had all the answers to everything the US did. Yeah, one more issue that I I thought really was noticeable today with the US is just their simple lack of speed, especially in the back line and in the midfield. I mean, you saw a player like Blackstinius just get behind the US's back line over and over and over again. You know, we we talked about Crystal Dunn at left back, but out of the U.S. backline, she's really the only one that you could say has above-average pace. I think o- O'Hara can can keep up pretty decently, but certainly Dahlkemper and, and, and Sauerbrunn can be exposed, and as well as some of the U.S. midfielders. And just that simple lack of speed, I think, was something that that, that Sweden was was able to exploit, and and maybe that's something that other teams can look at and say, yeah, we maybe don't have the skill uh, as Sweden, but maybe we have a couple pacey players that we can put on the U.S. back line and, and, and try to exploit them. Yeah, and I think you're looking at Australia in particular, um, not the next game, but the game after. Somebody like Sam Kerr or somebody like Haley Razo or somebody like Ellie Carpenter. If you're looking at what Sweden did today, Australia will be looking at that and thinking, right, we've got the pace that can upset the U.S., definitely. Let's take another break, and when we come back, we will throw it forward to the U.S.'s next two matches, which all of a sudden take on a whole new importance. And we will get to that in just a minute on All of Us. All of Us, the U.S. women's soccer show from Goal. Find more U.S. women's soccer news and opinion on Goal. All of Us, the U.S. women's soccer show from Goal. 
latest news and views on the U.S. women's national team and the NWSL on goal. Welcome back to all of us. And just a reminder to hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We will be recording an episode after every U.S. game in this Olympics, which we thought was going to take us through the gold medal game. It still might, but now we're not quite as confident after watching that display. And that leads us into the U.S.'s next game against New Zealand, which all of a sudden becomes much, much more important than we we thought it might be. Um, typically, the, the second game of the tournament is one where the U.S. tries to rotate a lot. Um, and particularly in the Olympics, with such tight turnarounds, um, we would have expected to see a, a ton of rotation to keep some of the uh, older players fresh. But now I'm unclear on, on, on how much rotation there will be or how much there can be, um, you know, particularly in the back line. But there are definitely some adjustments that, that need to be made. New Zealand, of course, not nearly as strong of an opponent as, as Sweden is, but they can certainly take some confidence from what they saw today. And, and Amy, you know, how much pressure is on the U.S. now uh, heading into this uh, New Zealand game on Saturday? Oh, it's massive, especially because New Zealand are seen as the weakest team in this group. You know, you're expecting to see, like I said earlier, a response from the U.S. You're expecting to see them show why they are the favourites to win the gold medal, why they are the world champions, why they've been on this incredible run. As for the rotation, I think, in a way, it is quite nicely timed in that there were going to be players chomping at the bit to get on that pitch and show, right, okay, I deserve to start in this team. And there are going to be chances there. Like, some people are going to be possibly losing their positions in this team if, you know, after the performance against Sweden, and now you're going to have other players coming in that can that can sort of grab a chance. And if they play really well against New Zealand, then who's to say that Vladko's not going to change what you would perceive as his strongest eleven for the final game against Australia and going further into the tournament as well. Yeah, there are definitely some candidates to be dropped after today. Certainly you would expect Ertz to, to come into the midfield. Mewis or Haran would, would probably lose their spot in that case. I think that Lavelle could continue uh, in a game against New Zealand where the U.S. is going to probably have a lot more of the ball and need somebody who can who can break down the opponents. I'm, I'm also... Really interested in how Vlatko rotates his forward line, if he does at all. I think based on her performance today, Megan Rapino should probably come into the lineup. I mean, she might have anyway, having not started this game. But Kristen Press, someone that we, we kind of highlighted as one of the U.S.'s best players heading into this tournament, had a, a pretty quiet game by her standards today. So you wonder if, if Press could come out or, or if Rapino could come in for Heath. And then up top. Uh, I think there's a, a question of whether Carly Lloyd will get a start. Alex Morgan also had a, a pretty quiet game. Another player that I'm interested in seeing might factor is um, Katerina Macario. You know, she missed out on the original 18-player roster, but with the, the roster changes to include 22 available players, she wasn't on the bench today. But I wouldn't be surprised if if, if she's on the bench, at least, uh, against New Zealand. Uh, she's someone... That kind of adds a different element, some flair, the ability to score from distance. You do wonder if if Macario might get a, a shot against New Zealand. Yeah, I think um, 
Christy Mewis as well might be a good shout, especially because she was in the original 18 and, you know, there are those four midfielders. I'm intrigued at how much this game today impacts sort of what Blackcore had envisioned for Ertz and for Heath in terms of what minutes they were playing, what games. And, you know, if he's looking at, right, OK, she's not going to play the first game, I'll bring her in for the second game against New Zealand. Maybe she'll play a little bit in the last game. That, obviously, considering everything went well, and then for the knockout, she's a bit more ready. Whereas now, like, you know, she's played 45 minutes more than maybe was expected in the first game. How much that offsets his plans for midfield. You could see Mewis come in, uh, Christy Mewis come into there. Makari obviously can play midfield as well. So I'm, I'm definitely interested in, like I say, how having to bring on Ertz today has impacted how he would have liked her to play the group stages. Yeah, and today definitely changes everything for the U.S., moving forward because now they can no longer control their own destiny in terms of finishing atop their group. Uh, if Sweden wins their final two games in the group, then the U S cannot finish atop the group. And, and that could lead to a particularly difficult quarterfinal ma- matchup against possibly Brazil who started out very well by beating China five zero today or the Netherlands who beat Zambia and a team that that we tipped as uh, one of the the top contenders to to challenge the U.S. at this tournament. Moving forward now, how much does the U.S.'s outlook change? I mean, they would have had to play these teams regardless if they uh, wanted to go through and win the gold medal, potentially, but but now they could see a, a much more difficult path to that gold medal game. It's that old cliche, isn't it, that you have to beat the best teams if you want to win the top prizes? I don't think it's anything that will phase the US, but as you go into these tournaments, like I say, with the injured players or like the way that you plan to rotate your team, the fact that you are maybe coming up against a much stronger team or even just a sort of different sort of team and it means a different options needed, it changes the path of how Vlatko might see in terms of putting his team out. But the US know that they have to beat the best to be the best because they have done it before. So might even be seen as an opportunity. Okay, we have to play this Netherlands team that everyone rates so highly and this Brazil team that, you know, we're really wanting that gold medal that they haven't got. If we can go out there in, in a quarterfinal, we didn't win our group and put on a show against one of these two teams, then it would give them a massive boost. Obviously, we're getting a bit ahead of ourselves there, saying that they might not win the group because um, it's not in their hands, but still very possible that they could end up on top anyway absolutely you would expect them to win the final two games of the group stage um, New Zealand and Australia not at the level of Sweden and the U.S. certainly has a, a fairly straightforward path to the quarterfinals at least still just because eight out of the 12 teams in the the women's tournament go through it's the top two finishers in each group as well as the top two third place finishers so uh, the U.S. still shouldn't be in any danger of, of missing out on the knockout phase. All right, Amy, I wanted to give you a quick opportunity to opine on Team GB, given you are the resident Team GB expert, and we asked you last week how they had been looking, and you answered very honestly, I'm not sure, uh, because they had only played one game behind closed doors before the Olympics. Of course, unlike all the other countries, Team GB is drawing from several different countries, and so... We hadn't really gotten a good opportunity to see how they all look together, uh, but today they defeat Chile 2 nothing in their opener. Um, what were your takeaways from that performance? 
going into it, you thought this is a team that hasn't played a game, well, played one game behind closed doors that nobody really watched. And they looked like they'd been playing together with each other for the last 10 years, every week. It was pretty incredible, actually, in terms of most of the team is made up of England players and England haven't put on a performance with that sort of chemistry for a long time. And they just looked so comfortable, so confident. You know, it must be said, we must caveat with the fact that Chile are probably the um, the weakest team in this group or would be perceived as much. But the sort of confidence and the flow, I mean, Lauren Hemp was ridiculously good out on the wing, had the beating of a marker every single time. Kim Little put on an unbelievable performance in midfield that will have any England fan watching, hoping that she was English because she was almost like the catalyst for all these players playing so well together. Ellen White got off to a great start with two goals. I mean, they just, everything sort of came together. And like I say, it just didn't look like a team that hadn't played together before. But yeah, first impressions were that everything that could have possibly been a disadvantage to them didn't look like a problem to them at all. Yeah, it should definitely be interesting to follow Team GB as this tournament develops, as well as follow the U.S. women's national team after today's shocking defeat to Sweden. That is going to do it for our show today. Thank you, as always, for listening. We will be back on Saturday after the New Zealand game. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, leave us a rating. Once again, thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time on All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show. All of Us, the U.S. Women's Soccer Show from Goal. Get the latest news and views on the U.S. Women's National Team and the NWSL on Goal.